If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! It's the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar. So glad to have you along. Dr. Gary Josephson joins us today with his thoughts on open communication across all levels of the Nemours enterprise. And psychologist Shanna Boyle will be here, too, to fill us in on the work being done to stop the stigma that surrounds mental illness and integrating mental health services into medical settings. Today, though, we start with a patient story from Dr. Jonathan Miller. He's a pediatrician who helps to manage the primary care practice at the A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington. I take care of a patient here who has has a genetic problem that is so profound that when when this child was born, the the NICU that he was born at, which was was not here, sent the patient home with hospice care because they expected him to die. And he was a survivor. That wasn't going to happen. And this family really struggled with whether that was the right thing to be doing, but that was what they were told was the right thing to do for this situation. But ultimately, they they came to me um, a few months into his life when things weren't going as they were told it was going to go. And I've had the opportunity over the last five years to help this family make connections with specialists to support this kid's needs, to help them figure out how to get him the nutrition he needs so he can thrive, how he can get developmental support so he can develop. And I feel like I've really become a major part of this this family. And there's there's nothing more rewarding than a situation like that where this family did not think they were going to have more than days or months with this child, and now they've had years to, to really experience joy with him. And, and yeah, I mean, he's, I, I think about him every day. And with this and so many other patients in mind, Dr. Miller puts his passion into his clinical work and into a second role he's taken on within the organization, Medical Director for Value-Based Care. What is value-based care exactly? So value-based care means changing the way that we deliver health care to really focus more on the quality of the healthcare system um, while also thinking about not wasting resources and, and, and minimizing the expense of the healthcare system. It means that we really need to think about how we can provide healthcare in a more proactive and preventive way. The healthcare system right now is much more reactive. So we sort of, we wait for patients to get to the emergency room or to come to the hospital and then we provide great care for them. The future of value-based care means that we really have to design a system that gets out into the community and helps people stay healthy so that they don't even need to come to the ER to begin with. How can we use care coordinators and community health care workers to, to get out there in the community with our patients and families and help them navigate the healthcare system in a way that keeps children healthier. In a future healthcare system where we change the incentive structure for healthcare, we will be incentivized around health 
instead of around volume. So now we really want to keep patients as healthy as possible. That means changing the entire way we envision our healthcare system. So how is it going to happen? It means we have to invest in the types of people that can help patients and families with their healthcare system. I mentioned community healthcare workers. These are people who can literally go out to homes and, and help families figure out what's triggering their child's asthma. And, you know, if we can remove those triggers, then the, the child doesn't have an asthma attack. So we, we have to invest in those types of people. We have to invest in a better data analytics abilities for our hospitals so that not only do we have a great electronic medical record that keeps our charts of our patients, but now we have the ability to to analyze the data those charts are giving us so we know how to manage our population. The feel of the healthcare system is going to change. So for instance, right now, if you don't bring your kid in for a well visit, you hear nothing from your medical home. But our current system that we are developing now, we have our offices calling families and say, did you know that your, your child is due for a well visit? Let's find a way to get you in soon. So, you know, we, we make sure everybody's coming in for those visits. We make sure they're getting their vaccines that way. You mentioned a term earlier that I'm not sure everyone is familiar with, medical home. Define that for me. So patient-centered medical home is a terminology we use for primary care practices in pediatrics that serve as a sort of a, a coordinating unit for, for a patient. And so you, you can imagine a child who has a complex medical disease that requires multiple specialists, multiple visits with these specialists. Maybe they need equipment at home, like a wheelchair or something like that. If you have a medical home that really knows how to coordinate care, they can help the family manage that child's health care in a, in a much more coordinated fashion. As it is currently conceived, the medical home means where the primary care provider is at for, for a, a child, right? Their medical home is their pediatrician's office. That's something that we're going to be reevaluating in the future. You know, whether the medical home should really be in a primary care office or should that medical home really be where the child is at. And so we're investing in things like telemedicine that allow us to get to the child at home. We're partnering with schools to get involved in school-based health so we can get access for children in their schools. Um, and so there's a lot of different ways that we can really help families really bring the medical home closer to their own home. Is there a patient who's benefited from this new model as of yet? So we have a number of patients who have asthma for whom we are providing community health workers now to go out and assess the home for, for triggers of asthma. You know, is, are there people who are smoking? Are there animals in the house? Are there sources of dust or mold, carpets, down pillows, things that can be changed that might impact the child? And so we have had some sex successes with that. And then another one that I thought was really, really great, we're, we're piloting right now with our telemedicine team the opportunity for some families to have access to telemedicine at home. We're doing this just for families that are going to the ER a lot. So some families are using the emergency room for reasons that we would not want them to go to the emergency room for, for instance, an ear infection, something that we really can manage outside of the a really sort of expensive area like an emergency room that shouldn't be bogged down with things that aren't emergent. Um, we need to come up with better ways to, to help families. And so one of the options is we're giving families something called a TitoCare device. Um, and this isn't a pilot, so it's not for a lot of families. But this is a device that allows the family to get images inside the ears and inside the mouth 
and to listen to lungs and hearts, and it can transmit that information to a doctor, and that doctor can look in the ears that way and speak with the family and then decide whether the kid has an ear infection or if the child needs to be seen in an emergency room. It can really help. And we've actually had already two families not go to the emergency room who otherwise would have because they had access to this technology. And so we really think there's some great potential to you know, identify families that are utilizing the healthcare system probably in more, more than they should and in ways that we can modify and give them this new technology and really change the trajectory of, of the kids' health. Dr. Jonathan Miller is a pediatrician at the A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington, Delaware, and the medical director for value-based care at Nemours. By the way, if you have an idea for improving service at Nemours, Dr. Miller wants to hear about it. Email podcast at Nemours.org, and we'll be sure to pass along your idea. That's podcast at Nemours.org. We've heard it time and again. Communication is a key to success. It's a philosophy that Dr. Gary Josephson, chief medical officer for the Nemours Florida Division, believes wholeheartedly, with a recognition that listening is an indispensable piece of the communication puzzle. Communication is essential. Uh, Let's just start with that. Communication comes in many forms, via email, uh, verbal communications. Um, You know, one of the things that I've always recognized is is the best way to motivate people and work with people is, is to communicate with them, listen to them. So, you know, communicating is not only speaking and telling them things that you would like, but actually even more important is the listening part, getting their feedback. I always tell people that, few things I always tell people. Number one, sometimes it's not always what you say, it's how you say it. That's very important. Number two is is that um, if you get buy-in from people by giving them the opportunity to share their thoughts, their feelings on how they would like to have things done, even if you don't go and do it that way, at least they feel that they've been empowered to give their suggestions. You want to get the feedback. And I will tell you that many, many things that I've done in my career uh, and in my life was not necessarily my idea. It was something that I actually learned by soliciting good communication and feedback with people. But the other part of communication is very important um, is, is that, you know, when people, we're very busy, we're a big organization. And when things occur, people want to know um, if it's a concern of theirs that there's follow-up. And so how do you tell someone that, you know, we did this for you, or this is, you know, you brought this concern to us. And so communication is essential and takes a lot of work and it's a lot of time. But again, it does bring the comments that you've suggested is, is that giving that feedback saying, yes, I'm listening to you. You brought this and I'm, so I'm communicating back. The other thing is, is I try to do things to make things simple. There are a lot of communications that we have. So on the physician side, for instance, we have something called CMO reminders. Um, we created that. They're one, one or two sentence bullet points of important matters that come up. And I've had a lot of physicians have said to me, you know, I read those CMO reminders because it will remind them licensure is coming up. Make sure that you do that or this or that rather than trying to read through a lot of things that are out there and trying to find where. They say, when, when I read your CMO reminders, there are bullet-pointed things that I know I may need to address for my continued success. So all those things, um, again, in building that rapport, uh, communications uh, is essential. Talk about engagement a little bit. What is the reason that employee engagement, especially in healthcare, 
is so important. Why do employees need to, associates, need to be engaged with the work? You know, engagement is very interesting. When people are engaged, then um, they enjoy their work. So it's a personal satisfaction for them. They feel good. It also transforms to the people that we take care of. So if I engage my people, they're going to they're gonna feel good about themselves. They're going to feel good about coming to work. They're going to want to work for us and work here. They're going to like the stuff that they're doing. But then they're going to take great care of the children that we take care of and the families. That's what we want to do is we want to accomplish great patient care. But we want people to feel like, number one, they're empowered to give the great care. Um, they're empowered to make decisions to give that great care. But we also want them to feel like, When they wake up in the morning, they're excited about going to work. They're also more productive. They're also healthier. There's a whole realm of things when someone feels good and feels engaged that uh, going from personal wellness to um, uh, greater patient care to being more productive, uh, which allows us to provide more more care for more patients, but also take care of our employees as well. You know, I've always believed in preventive medicine. You know, an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure. Um, And so um, if we keep our people engaged and they feel wonderful about who they are and who they're working for and the patients we care for, it elevates our level of status. Talk about the people that you work with directly, your team, your admins, the other people on the leadership team, your immediate team. What is it like working with them and how do you keep them engaged? So, you know, I will tell you that um, from the minute I took this job and also in my previous jobs, I've always told people that I'm proud to serve. So um, I report to everybody in this building at every level. In my, in my opinion, that's my job is that they're all, um, they're all my bosses, um, if you may. And I, I believe that because my job is really to, um, to develop people, to help them to provide the services the most uh, efficiently and easy as possible. My job is to help to teach people about what's happening in the healthcare world so that they can do a better job or have a better understanding of how to provide the care. I'm very, very fortunate because our leadership team here is phenomenal. I mean, I'm just so ecstatic about our leadership team. They're all great. And it is a team. Um, Not only the leadership team, it's a team of the whole building. Um, We work together. Um, We're a family. Um, And that's what I tell people. No matter how big we are, uh, this is their Nemours family. And we want to be there for them through anything that they want to share, whether it's work-related or personally related. I have an open-door policy, and everybody in the building knows that. Um, And so I am available, you know, as best as I can be. But um, anybody can make an appointment with me if they have a concern. Everything is confidential unless they want me to share those things. The other thing that I do is is everybody in this building knows, and if they don't know, they should know my cell phone number, so they know that I'm available. And there's also avenues that they can reach me through my emails. And we also started something several years ago called cmojacks at nemours.org. And so anybody in the building can email through that, and that will come to me. And I try to respond as quickly as I can to um, let them know, you know, I hear what you're saying, whether it's, uh, you know, there's something, a, a problem that they want us to try to take care of for them or for the building or something personal or whatever it is, and giving them good follow-up and feedback. Listening, follow-up, and feedback important communication tools and advice from Dr. Gary Josephson, Chief Medical Officer for the Nemours Florida Group based in Jacksonville. If you'd like to reach out to him directly, that email again is cmojax at nemours.org. That's c-m-o-j-a-x at nemours.org. 
According to the National Association on Mental Illness, NAMI, stigma is when someone views a person in a negative way just because they have a mental health condition. In the last decade or so, there's been a concerted effort across the nation to reduce that stigma and to strive for more integration between the provision of mental health services alongside those for physical health. Psychologist Dr. Shanna Boyle sees that as a win-win for the patients she works with at Nemours in Jacksonville. I think it's becoming more popular to have mental health integrated into medical settings, so hospital settings or um, specialty clinics like we have here. So we work very closely with um, a lot of our colleagues here, for example, in neurology or pulmonology and GI. What we're trying to do is really be present in their clinics, and so families can really see that we work closely as a team to support the whole child. So meaning not only are we taking care of their physical health, but also their emotional health as well. We find that families are more receptive to mental health services when it's their medical physician actually encouraging them to meet with psychology. So we do have a couple programs here that we're really trying to move forward. I recently became involved with the inflammatory bowel disease team here. I had done some research myself on the psychological adjustment to the illness, but I never really worked clinically with this population. And an opportunity came up to have a psychologist actually in clinic to see these patients who return for their regular follow-up visits. And so currently, we have a team of specialists, including medical doctors, um, a social worker, uh, dietitians, research coordinator, nursing, um, as well as psychology. And so The psychologist actually participates with the team during weekly rounds. We review all the patients, and it's really nice because the medical doctors will ask for our input regarding the emotional impact of the disease on, on the patient, as well as any other issues that may either help the patient cope with their illness or present as risk factors and may serve as barriers for managing the illness. Is there a particular patient story that you can recall just off the top of your head Mm -hmm. that has really resonated with you and sort of motivated you to Mm -hmm. keep you engaged with psychology, which can be, you know, it's a hard field. I know one patient I can think of that stands out is a girl who could not swallow pills in the hospital and was told that, you know, she'd have to take all these medications and also was very fearful of blood draws. And I remember going into her room in the hospital and right when I walked into the room, the child was screaming and it was very chaotic. And, you know, just being with the family through that journey of, what probably felt like chaos in their lives and coming to a place where, you know, the child's back in school and they're navigating this illness and feeling more confident. And, you know, when a family can come back and say, thank you for being on this journey with us and supporting us, um, that feels really rewarding. Talk about the people you work with, uh, your immediate team. What, what, right. uh, how do you work together? How do you mm-hmm. encourage working mm-hmm. together as a team? And do mm-hmm. families see that as your team works together, it makes their experience better? 
So in my normal day-to-day routine, I work with a lovely group of psychologists here, and we also integrate closely with our psychiatry team. And it's very easy to work with them. I think everyone has the same goal in mind, which is to provide great care to the families we see and really be advocates for them. Our team is always coming up with new initiatives. My division chief, Dr. Lockery, was really active in organizing a mental health fund for patients who otherwise wouldn't be able to be seen by our department because of insurance barriers. And so that's really invigorating. Everyone just is, I think, working really hard to for the patient's best interests. And so it's really easy to work to together towards that mission. I think the support is a big thing. I think knowing that your colleagues support you, that you're supported by administration. I think just seeing how other people respond to challenges and that they're willing to work through them. I think that's really encouraging. And then I also think just seeing how families are so resilient sometimes and it really makes you um, shift your own perspective. And some of the challenges we face at work are nothing compared to what the families we serve are going through. So I think that really, that taking that perspective really helps. Dr. Shanna Boyle is a clinical psychologist based in Jacksonville, Florida. So there you have it. Another episode of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Your Nemours story is something we want to hear about and share with your fellow associates. Email us at podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org so we can arrange an interview. Don't forget, you can access this podcast and subscribe to it on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or TuneIn. You can also ask your smart speaker to play the Champions for Children podcast. Production assistance provided by Peter Adebi, Deborah Griffin, J.L. Puckett, and Jackie Williams. And our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Fall River, Massachusetts. Finally, our words of wisdom today come from Dr. Gary Josephson. There's a number of things that people should think about when they're aspiring to grow and develop and do things. Find things that you enjoy. Um, Have a great attitude uh, towards uh, the work that you do and be very thankful for everything that you do. I'm Carol Vassar. Thanks for joining us on the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Till next time, take care.